Fanalytics with Mike Lewis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Mike Lewis and Doug Battle brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Doug, it was the biggest college football game of the year. Yeah. I think probably, probably easily, right? I, I think you sent me a number. 13 million folks watched that game, which beat out the World Series. In general, that, that kind of number of 13 beats NBA championships, World Series games. Really second. It's only going to come behind... A number like that's only going to it's going to beat out the Grammys, right? It's only going to come behind the Academy Awards. It's only going to come behind maybe the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl. Yeah. So you've got, you know, we talk a lot about fandom. You are immersed in Georgia fandom, but you are also, and and we won't go into it, but you know, you are also a Southern kid. <laughs> you know, yeah. Born and raised. You've got massive exposure to Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia fandom. So what are your thoughts on, and we've been talking about Tennessee fandom all year, right? The glory of them. Well, boy, someone just put a pin in them. So Doug, what's your thoughts on Tennessee's visit to Athens? Man, uh, first off, just subjectively, I enjoyed the heck out of it. (laughs) Uh, What a fun day for the Georgia fan base to be called out by a former Tennessee quarterback uh, saying that it's a a, a weak sauce crowd, not a hostile environment, and to set records as far as decibel levels are concerned. I think it was a historic day for the Georgia program, a lot of fun. And I can't say we didn't call it that I have a clip from me a couple weeks back saying, it's all fun for Tennessee right now. It's a blast to watch, but I don't see this ending well the way that they're handling success. Um, and, you know, I said maybe a rematch with Alabama, maybe Georgia. It turned out it was Georgia. I will say this. If I'm a Tennessee fan, uh, playoffs are still very much alive. I would say probable. I think they're, they're Mike, they're, Mike's making a face. <laughs> Their odds of making the playoff went up on Saturday. Because Look. because of the Clemson and Alabama losses, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I mean, look, w- the funny thing is, we can now, as talk as the weeks go on and talk radio heats up on all this, we know what the debates are going to be. At Tennessee beat Alabama. They destroyed LSU. Uh, and look, they they had to play an away game in Athens with that. Weak, relatively weak crowd. It was wet weather, right? I mean, you know what's going to be said. The, yeah, and I, I find that funny that going into the game, uh, it was basically a neutral site game because Georgia's crowd's so weak. But now that Tennessee's lost, it's well, Tennessee, Georgia's got this hostile environment. Who could ever win there? Uh, so that argument kind of collapsed on itself on Saturday, which was fun. But I really do think that. I think Tennessee's going to slide. I think Georgia, this is a weird thing about it. I think Georgia might have just gifted Tennessee a bye week in the sense that they're not going to have to play an SEC championship game. Uh, one more week of being healthy, uh, of preparation for a potential rematch. I don't love that as a Georgia guy. I don't love, and that's what happened with Alabama years back. They lost to Auburn. They didn't make the SEC championship, still made the playoff, ended up winning the whole thing. So if I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm still very optimistic, thinking we'll get another shot. You know, this time, the crowd will be a little more even. We're not going to miss those deep balls. But as a Georgia guy, you got to just enjoy uh, being on top for a moment and defending the home turf. And I think that's how Georgia fans feel right now. 
And we'll see what happens. But, uh, I, you know, I feel like if Georgia stays healthy, they certainly have a great shot. I think Ohio State and Michigan, we're going to have to see who wins that one. But the winner of that's in the mix, too. We've got plenty to talk about with the college football playoffs. So, but let's, yeah. focus on, let's focus on the two fan bases, right? So Tennessee yeah, yeah. has awakened this year. Yeah. Goalpost in the river, the security guy dancing, you know, this, and, and just the relentlessness of, the silly, the vol. What do they call the overalls, Doug? Vol, vol, vol Don't they have a word for it? Where they combine volunteers and overalls? I That's don't know. It. I'm no connoisseur of, of checkered okay. overalls. Yeah, the, check, <laughs> the checkered stadium. Yeah, but you know, game day was in Athens mm-hmm. to this relatively weak crowd. This relatively, you know, it's funny how quickly Georgia fans became like Dallas Cowboy fans or something, right? Like right. these sort of country club fans kind of rolling in a little bit late. I was expecting to win. Well, that's the, that's the perception. I, well, you know, I th- the disrespect that the mm-hmm. ESPN panel of all of the permanent members, I think mm-hmm. the three permanent members cho- selected Tennessee. They all picked Tennessee. Only the country singer that chose Georgia Luke in Brian. front of that placid, you know, Georgia fan base tailgate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, and speaking of Luke Bryan, I would love to see videos from his concert on Saturday night in Tampa because he was absolutely hammered at college <laughs> game day, you know, at nine in the morning. And yeah. he had a, he had a concert and Georgia played a great game. I'm sure he watched it. I'm sure he had a good time. And then he had to perform that night, you know, 9 PM. Uh, I would love to see how that performance went. Can't imagine it was anything special. He apologized beforehand on college game day, uh, which was beautiful. But yeah, the Georgia fan base, that's a bunch that, you know, a couple years back, back when I was in school, 2017, they were in the same position. We were in the same position as Tennessee right now, where it was like, we were the sleeping giant that awoke that year. Okay, but let let me just call a timeout here just real quick. Sure. And I'm asking you this as an as, as someone born and raised in the heart of SEC country. It seems like Tennessee and LSU fans are a little bit different. They are. We've yeah, almost a little bit like off. Is that fair? <laughs> and I think that's where the criticism toward Georgia fans comes. It's like, oh, these are these aren't people from the mountains that are filling up Nayland. You know, these are people from Atlanta. These are people that play golf on the weekends and you know, the people that work for big business firms. Um, I think that's the perception. Whereas at Tennessee, it's like, and, and LSU, it's like all these swamp people. You're like, where do these people come from? <laughs> and, and Tennessee, it's all these mountain men with big beards that they dye checkers into their beard. Like, where do these people come yeah. from? So I think there's like, it's weird, but there's like in football fandom, there's more of a respect toward the super crazies than like the regular guy fan bases. That's where I think you're getting like the Dallas Cowboy fans association with Georgia. And I think that it's more of a Buffalo Bills vibe in LSU or Tennessee. Right. But don't you think it's, it's, it's way beyond, I mean, like, like the Bills fans are, they almost seem like they're play acting, throwing each other yeah. through the, compared to like, like the Tennessee fans, you feel like it's real. This is yeah. just who they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um and I think there was a time when Alabama had that perception. I remember I used to say that I really wanted to see Alabama play a game cuz Alabama's tickets got so expensive that uh, you can't go to the game unless you're a country club guy, you know. So they they do have this stadium full of kind of uh, upper middle class Alabama folks, which is great. Um uh, but the 
stereotypical Alabama fan. You know, people make jokes about marrying your cousin and all that stuff. That's the stereotype. I've always said, like, I would love to see Alabama play a game in Talladega, like the the raceway. Just put a football field out there and pack it out with however many. I mean, that place hosts so many people, so much more than a football stadium. Sell tickets for like ten bucks and just pack it out with a NASCAR crowd. I think that's the that's when Alabama's fan base would start getting some respect from the kind of people that admire Tennessee. But Tennessee did that. They had a they had a raceway football game a few years back, so they they beat me to the punch. How many people did they get out there? I you know I could be wrong, but I feel like those things host like two hundred thousand people. Like it's something insane. I mean, they're it's, enormous, right? It's yeah, a mile. it's insane. And of course, no one can see the game <laughs> in the field. Probably have to watch on their phones or on some. It's not like there's a jumbotron hanging up over the field, like you're yeah. at a basketball stadium. No, but, you're not, you're not wrong. I mean, that way, you know, especially Alabama doing that. Oh, I want to see it so bad. You know, Alabama Tennessee game in a in a NASCAR. I mean, come on. And it's it's kind of the equivalent of the Field of Dreams game or the, right. you know, whenever they play a hockey game outside. Right. Yeah. You know, they, let's get some imagination, Alabama and Auburn. Right. 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 But all that to say, I think Tennessee has more of that NASCAR crowd <laughs> as far as the perception. And Georgia's Georgia's fans made a point to uh, to show that they they also are capable of being loud and creating a, a great environment. And I think that um, I think that it did. You know, I think it benefited Georgia to the point where Tennessee fans are saying. You know, we would have won if it had been in Nayland or if it had been a neutral site. Like, you're really hearing that stuff. Watching the game, it's hard to believe. But as a fan, I get it. Like, I remember I mentioned 2017 earlier. Georgia was number one in the country. Late in the season, goes on the road to Auburn. And that place was rocking. I remember, I think that's the loudest stadium I've ever been in. I remember being like, man, I wish we could get this loud for a game. Um, place was rocking. Georgia had no chance. It was just like they they walked in to hell and and they had no way out <laughs> without taking an L. And so, you know, and then three weeks later they played on a neutral side. It was a totally different football game. So I, I get it, you know, from a fan base perspective, feeling like, yeah, we we, you know, we might have a shot in a different environment. What I don't get though, Mike, is this we had them right where we wanted them before it started raining. Uh it's 20, 24 to 6. Uh, before the rain, but uh, you'll see it all over Twitter. That is just well, if it hadn't rained, Tennessee was going to win that game. They were going to come back. It's like, ah, that's a uh, that one's a little out there. That's a little. It takes the levels of self deception that some fans have is phenomenal, and I think the Tennessee fan base um, is elite when it comes to that. Yeah, and, and like we may as well let's sort of slide into the college football playoff because. Look, and I think these fan bases, look, I mean, a a true fan has actually never seen their team honestly defeated. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's the refs. It's the uh, refs. Injuries. Injuries, the weather. Weather environment. There's never been a true defeat or, you know, I mean, the advanced level of, well, they cheated to get their play. You know, it's it's just what it is. I kind of hate to say it to Tennessee, but... um, I think that the 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 game was much and and I don't know the the way the college football playoff committee functions. That was a dominating performance by Georgia. That was more yeah. like one of these games where Georgia probably took their foot off the gas a little bit when they got up big. Tennessee got handled. It basically went into victory formation for the last two quarters of the football yeah. game. I think and, a lot of Georgia fans, uh, from what I've seen and heard. 
I th- it's weird, but I think Georgia fans are just as hungry for a rematch as Tennessee fans are because they want to beat them by 50 because they feel like if it hadn't rained, we would have kept throwing bombs. We would have kept catching bombs. We would have kept scoring, running up the score in Tennessee. People wouldn't even be talking about them with the kind of respect that they are because it, you know, to the Tennessee fan, you can spin this as, hey, we only lost by 14 on the road in a game where we missed all of our deep balls in a hostile environment. We shouldn't drop very much. Okay, you know, and this is where I'm going to sound like the Georgia Homer, and you know, I, in this, I'll in, try to, I'll try to stop you. That game to me looked like Tennessee found out what it was like to play with a team that had a a guy on the opposite side that could run at every position, right? That yeah. was probably a, the same or more elite level of talent on all eleven positions. And, and so Tennessee, I, look, I, I thought Tennessee got a little bit exposed. I think that was a really damaging loss for them. You know, it, you know, they sort of had this momentum going. And like, like I'm an analytics guy, but let's face it, momentum and emotion, these matter in sports. It's just nothing that we can quantify. I don't mm-hmm. know where Tennessee goes from here. You know, the college football, we're, we're taping on Tuesday afternoon. College football playoff poll come out later today. Uh, does Tennessee, I, I know there's some discussion that the, you know, kind of the, so Georgia's clear number one, I think. I think they leapfrog Ohio State mm-hmm. to get to number one. Two most dominating performances of the year against Oregon. Against top 10 teams, yeah. <sighs> Who's number four, Doug? Tennessee's got to fight. They want that number four. But if TCU can't be number four undefeated, then why are they playing? Yeah, and I've seen, you know, I've got CBS pulled up right now, and they actually have Tennessee at number three. They have them dropping from one to three. Um, Ohio State at two, Michigan at four, TCU five, Oregon six. A lot's going to happen in the coming weeks, of course. Ohio State and Michigan will play each other. Georgia and LSU will play each other. Oregon, USC, and UCLA, somebody's going to emerge out of that group. Um and then we forget about because Clemson got waxed by Notre Dame, UNC and Clemson are both one-loss ACC schools. One of them's going to win the ACC. You could have a one-loss ACC school in the mix as well. ACC's out. UNC, who struggled, uh, who who barely pulled off the win against App State early in the season. <laughs> ACC's out. All right. Um, so ACC's out. But yeah, um, I you know with Tennessee. I think it just comes down to how valuable that Alabama win is. And it's something that yeah, it's looks a little worse. Well, it gets worse every time you watch Alabama play. It's a team that with the same breaks, with the same breaks, they would have, you know, if, if Texas has caught the same breaks, if Texas A&M caught the same breaks, Alabama loses both of those teams. So, I mean, it could very easily be a four-loss team. Um, and, and that's what's interesting to me about Tennessee's the perception of Tennessee to this point there's still a lot of people that view them as elite I'm not saying they're not I'm not saying they're not the second best team in the country um there's there are a lot of people that view them as elite it's because they beat Alabama in a very close game at home in a crazy environment that probably wouldn't happen on a neutral site or in Tuscaloosa but they beat Alabama and then they beat LSU and how do we know LSU's good because LSU beat Alabama so yeah. well, that, also at home, also in a ruckus environment. Was it you that sent me the uh, the Twitter the tweet of a couple of LSU guys yeah, in the locker trolling room? Alabama? It was trolling the it Al- was the uh, long snappers. 
Okay. It was the long snappers. Yeah. Hey, so, so is that is that trolling or is that you know does Alabama like live in literally everyone's head except maybe like they half live in Georgia's head, but they the rest of the college. It's like the uniform is worth seven points or ten points. It, it well, exactly. Like- That's what I'm saying. Where it's like it's the worst Alabama team in a decade at least, probably fifteen years. Um, as far as what I'm not saying talent wise, I'm saying what as a team how they perform, and beating them is worth more than anything. It's worth more. I mean, go. It's crazy, but going into the Georgia Tennessee game, I was told by a lot of people that if Tennessee loses, they're likely still in the playoff because they beat Alabama. If Georgia loses, they're done. Well, Georgia beat oh, Oregon great. by four touch, you know, five, six, I don't know, seven touchdowns. I, I lost count. Um, that's a top 10 team. You know, That's a one-loss team, and their only loss is to Georgia. And so, But beating Alabama, it just comes down to, like, what if Alabama is just not that good? And, like, what if Ole Miss beats Alabama this week? And, you know, do they do they jump in the playoff mix? Cause they're a one loss team and uh, they're going to be, they're not going to make the sec championship unless LSU loses one, but they could, you know, they could be that, that sec team that crawls in there in that scenario. And I don't think Ole Miss is a very good football team, but it's like, who knows the way Alabama has been playing. Uh, yeah. It seems like anything's possible, but all that to say, is just like LSU is all of a sudden perceived who, who was a joke at the beginning of the season, by the way, they're now perceived as borderline elite. Uh, Tennessee's been perceived as elite for, for those wins over Alabama. It goes back to the preseason rankings. Like so much weight is put into those, and it, it biases everything, in my opinion. And so much of those preseason rankings are based on the historical brand equity of these teams. Right. Right. I mean, was Notre Dame top five or top six? You know, what was it? Ohio State, Texas two versus- A&M. It was in the yeah. top ten. Um, yeah, I yeah. mean, and so it's like all- with basketball, you'll get Kentucky. You know, the every team, those top, those blue bloods, they lose all their guys to the NBA, and they have a new set of players, and they'll be preseason number one, two, three, four. You know, Kentucky, Kansas, UNC, Duke, and there are years where one of those teams ends up in the NIT, but they were preseason number two, <laughs> um, and, and that's how it feels with Alabama football this year. But beating them is still like it's like beating a national champion. Okay, a little bit of a fun look ahead, right? So Tennessee thinks they belong in the playoff? Yeah. When LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship game. <laughs> there we go. I think Georgia's still going to the playoff, right? Yep. They're, they're number one going into that game. LSU squeaks it out. LSU's beaten Georgia and Alabama. They're in. And they've won the SEC. They're in. Sending them home? No, they're in. They're, it's the same situation. Wait. You're taking a two loss. Well, let's just preview the way this bolt, this BS conversation is going to go. You're taking a two loss <laughs> team over an undefeated TCU team, Doug. <laughs> I'm doing it. I, you know, they're in the same position that Auburn was in in 2017. Auburn, for those, you know, just to refresh everyone's memory, they lost uh, lost a game at LSU. They lost, I'm trying to think. I don't know. They had a they had a rough beginning of the season. Two losses early. Um, turn it around. And they end up beating Georgia at home, number one Georgia. And then they play Alabama at home. They beat them. They make it to the SEC championship game. And had they won that game, which was it was closer than the score indicated, particularly if you consider injuries, 
had they won that game, Auburn would have been in the playoff. They might have been the number one team in the country with two losses because their resume was so strong. I don't think LSU's resume would be that strong, but I do think I, I don't know how you send them home with a SEC championship, a win over Georgia, a win over Alabama. That is if Alabama doesn't lose to Ole Miss or <laughs> any more football games. So, Doug, you're playing this role perfectly as this this guy born and bred in SEC country. We're gonna have three. We're gonna have. LSU, Georgia, and Tennessee in the football playoff. And so all these other te- – you know, it's – God, I love this time of year. I See, I think they would box Tennessee out of the playoff in that situation. I think it would just be two SEC teams. I think Tennessee gets left out. Tennessee and I think if I'm, if I'm Georgia, 50. if I'm Kirby Smart, there would be part of me just because I don't want a rematch and it's my divisional rival and we recruit against them. I don't want them in the playoff be part of me and wants to just forfeit the SEC championship against LSU, let them make the playoff and, and box out Tennessee. <laughs> I've had that discussion. Uh, I don't know how much Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, would appreciate that, but I certainly would. Yeah, I mean, it's... Because otherwise, uh, you're giving Tennessee a bye week by beating them down in Athens last hey, week. It's this, it, it, like I said, the NFL always wins and the SEC always wins. Um, yeah. And it, it really is. So the Literally in SEC country, we're going to debate how we're going to get between. We're getting at least one team. We deserve two teams, and there's an outside chance we're getting three teams into the playoff. And every other conference in America is trying to get one. Like the Pac-12 is trying to desperately figure out how to justify, you know, Oregon or USC getting into this. Oregon should not have scheduled Georgia at the beginning of the season. That's the bottom line. They should have backed out of that game because because Oregon's an undefeated number two team in the country right now. If it's not for that. Um, hey, wait, I like I know that's not what you meant, but I like the idea of like we're just not going to play. We're going to yeah. we're going to. I mean, for real, if they so let's just say they forfeit that game, they're yeah. a one loss team, but who knows how much they lost by, and they're they're in the mix. So, um, fake up, you know, something fake a problem with the airplane. They just can't show yeah, up. Yeah, right, right. COVID, whole team got COVID. Um, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that yeah, that's the kind of thing that that could have been advantageous for them, but uh, Ohio state and Michigan. Yeah. They're going to play each other, but also that's like, what are they? Number two and number three, potentially this week or number two and number four. Um, Gotta be two and three when it comes out. I, I, can't I know imagine. that the big 10 fans are not happy about the prospects of, you know, Tennessee can lose to Georgia and they both make it, but Michigan can lose to Ohio state or vice versa. And one of them gets cut. Um, but when I was, I have a buddy that's a Ohio state guy and I was talking to him, I was like, who, what are the ranked wins or like, what are the, what are the big wins Ohio state's had? And, and same with Michigan. It was like Penn state. Uh, I don't know who else. So it's tough. It's like, I'm not saying they're not as good as Tennessee. Um, but Tennessee, like even that Alabama win, maybe Alabama's no better than Illinois, Mike. I don't know. But uh, actually, I do know. But I'm going to pretend that I don't know. Maybe Alabama's not better than Illinois, but there's still the prestige that comes with beating Florida and LSU and Alabama, whereas Penn State's good. Um, who else gets respect in the Big Ten? Who else? What other resume builders do you have? It's tough. You know, when you talk about Big Ten fans, I almost, and I, maybe I'm alone on this one. I almost want to separate that league into there's um, Big Ten East fans and Big Ten West fans. Yeah. And Big Ten Big Ten West fans, we may all be rooting against Michigan and Ohio State. 
Right. Because we never get there. We want no Big Ten teams in the playoffs. <laughs> Bringing everyone down. We hate those guys, right? See, that's how I am as a yeah. people are always like, Oh, you gotta pull for you gotta pull for the SEC. You know, if you went to an SEC school, you gotta even if your team's eliminated, yeah. you gotta pull for the SEC. I'm not pulling for Tennessee. I'm not pulling for Alabama or Auburn. We recruit against those schools. I want them to I want them to fail miserably. I want them to be embarrassed. Um, I'm not gonna pull for my rivals to succeed. I've never understood that. Yeah, but I mean, and look, I, I get both. Look, I, I'm 100%. You know, I, I don't, I mean, I think about the teams that I dislike across sports. Michigan football's way up there, Kansas <laughs> basketball. And I, I do, I want them to lose every game. But, you know, yeah. the reality is you also do want them to come on. Tennessee coming in ranked number one to to Athens. That was a beautiful thing. It was right? fun, I mean, yeah. You know, it's almost like we, as fans, we got to hope for a little more success for our rivals than we really, you know, our our heads got to hope for a little more success than our hearts. I've, I've been, you know how I've kind of been on the Tennessee hype train all year. I'm like, this is great. Every year we're going to have a huge game like this. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know, if we lose, we'll have a reason to, to be vengeful the next season. If we win, it'll feel like a championship. But uh, I do know some Georgia fans who they won't say it. They were a little bit disappointed that Tennessee wasn't as good as they were supposed to be on Saturday. I think some people wanted to see Georgia challenge like in a real back and forth kind of way. Um, and, and Georgia fans. And, and it's kind of disappointing. It's like, oh man, this was our one game that was supposed to be a real game and we're up by three touchdowns at halftime. Uh, and now we're going in victory formation for the last two quarters, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's There is something about having a rival that is equal it's the the old batman and joker it's like they can't live without each other auburn alabama they they kind of need auburn to be good like they as much as they all hate it when auburn if auburn ever turns it around uh in, in the coming years it's good for alabama and the same goes with tennessee and georgia florida those rival schools they need each other to be good yeah it's a you know this is one of these endless topics of like the importance of rivalries and you know, this makes me. You know, we, you got anything else on college football? Can we move to college uh, basketball? Uh, I got one more thing on rivalries. Like another example, Georgia, Georgia Tech. Like I've always been like, I want to see Georgia Tech become at least a top fifteen football program again. Like it's just not fun anymore. There's not. They don't even have fans in their own stadium. Like for the for the Georgia game for their biggest game because everybody knows the deal. It's not a fair fight, and it's not really a rivalry when it's not a fair fight or anywhere close. So. It's like there is there is kind of this need. And we saw it like for Georgia fans. That was the most fun Tennessee game in years. Uh, because they're good now. They're they're on the map. And it's a and it's a great point. Now, I mean, I think Georgia's at a little bit of a different level at, at this point in terms of the importance of those rivalries. But you know, you, you go back fifteen years ago when or twenty years ago when like the SEC East was really being dominated by, you know, Tennessee and Florida at that point, yeah. right? Yeah, and a healthier Georgia Tech Georgia rivalry probably would have paid dividends for both of those teams, right? Mm-hmm. It's and so you know I think rivalry is a good way to seg to college college basketball, where you know you see the importance of some of these rivalries. And, and look, my line, I I actually last night, Doug, I watched college basketball rather than uh, Monday Night Football. It just sort of had a. You know, it, it was something. Well, you're, I was, you're a college basketball guy. That's kind of your thing. But I just thing. have an appetite for it, right? It's like you know, a, a knee. It's been so long. Now yeah. I'll tell you this: though. I can't remember a time when college basketball had less hype going into the season. 
I think right? if you I, ask sports fan to name the all-american team and this used to be on the cover of sports illustrated i don't think anyone could come up with the average the average fan is going to come up with zero guys on that team yeah and i mean i i'll i'll be honest i've had to look up like when does college basketball like these are google searches i've made when does college basketball start i haven't heard a peep and it's already started i think the entire top 25 played last night yeah and as you you were talking about rivalries one of the things that i always think one of the biggest mistakes that ever happened and this is not a small thing right i mean you know part of the beauty of like part of the reason why georgia is so good in football Mm -hmm. And why Florida has always had a perennial, you know, the, the Florida teams have done so well and Texas has done so well, is the amount of talent in those areas. Right. And, and if you look at the like the Chicago land and the Illinois area, that was always a historical hotbed for basketball talent. And so you have to ask the question of why did they never break through? You know, you had, and again, this is this is going beyond your effective lifetime, Doug. But you know, DePaul was really a powerhouse in like the 70s and the 80s. Mm-hmm. Illinois had a great run in the 80s, some, you know, problems with some run-ins with the NCAA and Bruce Pearl, uh, you know, Auburn, right. yuck. Uh, <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> fandom. You fandom, should. Fandom. But, you know, one of the things that Illinois and DePaul never did was they never willing to play each other, right? No one wanted to lose to the other one, particularly in the Chicagoland area, because they didn't want to lose out on recruits. And then you look at what, you know, other programs, let's say Kentucky and Louisville, Mm-hmm. or Indiana and Kentucky, North Carolina and Duke, having those rivalries, that creates so much excitement. It's it's worth it to lose some of the time. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the ultimate and sort of short-sighted, short-sightedness to not embrace those rivalries. So you, I mean, we, as a Georgia football fan, in some ways I'm kind of a basketball, sorry, football fan. I'm almost envious of you know, you got Auburn as a huge rival. Georgia mm-hmm. hates Auburn. You got this game against Florida and the world's largest cocktail party, though I think they're, they've crossed that name off the list. Great rivalries up and down, the, you know, across the season. I think about Illinois' rivalries, and they're always like these fake things of, well, they'll have them play Northwestern for the Lincoln Trophy in football, <laughs> right? It's made up stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, rivalries are, I think they're huge for building fandom. I think having a team that everyone can unanimous you unanimous <laughs> blah words <laughs> unanimous so good at names unanimously yeah, no, you took me up <laughs> um, i don't know what got into me uh that everyone can hate yeah. on the same fan base uh is it brings people together in a weird way but there's there's been years like if george is not in the mix and auburn's potentially you know looking at a national champion national championship the fan base will kind of rally around just watching Auburn every week and hoping that they lose and pulling it for whatever team's playing them. So, or, or Florida, if they're in that situation or Tennessee, although it hasn't been that way for Tennessee this year. I feel like everyone's Tennessee's kind of been everyone's, uh, they've been the media darling and everyone's kind of appreciated their run up until this point. Um, but they, uh, they'll, and I, I, like I said, I think they'll be back. But college basketball, I haven't heard too much about it. I know UNC returns just about everyone from a team that should have won it all well, last year. Top I mean, 10 is pretty much all blue bloods. Um, well, I don't know. Again, we, we've got all sorts of arguments about that. Like, I, I pulled up the AP. So, North yeah. Carolina, number one, 
Right. You know, easy. I mean, easy from a brand perspective. Number two, though, if we're looking at the same poll, and we, we could have this argument, is Gonzaga a blue blood? Has it happened yet? Have they, won, gonna, a, have they won a championship? I'm going to argue no, but they're always up there now. I mean, they're a perennial top five team for the last yes, 10 years. But I don't think they're blue blood. Okay. That's I, fair. I mean, you tell me I'm wrong. I mean, it's uh, what's, what's their conference, Doug? The, the Gonzaga conference. Yeah. Uh, I got Houston in number three, and then we get to Kentucky. Uh, Baylor's another one. I, I think you could argue that Baylor and Gonzaga are two of the top five college basketball programs, it seems like, over the last five years, yep. maybe over the last decade. I don't know if that gets to blue blood status or not. Scott um, Drew's maybe, done a remarkable job, but prior to his tenure, uh, is it Baylor, a, Baylor was not a... I almost asked the question, is it now an era where it's impossible to become a blue blood, right? That there just isn't the opportunity to build. I think Baylor or Gonzaga could if they, you got to win, not championship, but championships, you know, you got to win a bunch and Baylor got one um, and they've had chances to follow up on that, or I guess a chance, but haven't, haven't had success yet, but they're, you know, they're going to be in the mix and so will Gonzaga and maybe it's a matter of time, maybe not, maybe the UNCs and Dukes and Kansas of the world go back to, you know, they, they tend to win those and they stay the team. Uh, I think you've got to have almost like a UCLA John Wooden run if you're Baylor or Gonzaga to really be a historically great basketball program. You think that's possible? No. I mean, I'm, I'm, watching, I'm watching Illinois play Eastern Illinois last night and – you know, Illinois has got a decent team. The preseason, I think, top looks like top 23. There's very few guys on that team from last year's team. Yeah. You know, between graduation and, uh, you know, transfers, I think three out of the, three out of the five guys starting were, uh, you know, I think it was one freshman, two transfers coming in. And I don't think it's Illinois. I think it's literally everyone Everywhere. Mm-hmm. is now at this point. And I think it's I think it's terrible for the game. I think it's terrible for the sport. I, you know, there's no you know, there, there there's not this excitement of like, oh, we're gonna see this, the, you know, we're gonna see this guy progress for four years. It's like this guy's either gonna play, play well and move on to the NBA, or he's not gonna play as well as he thinks he should be playing, and he's gonna move on to some other team. Yeah. I, I find myself not even excited about recruits anymore in college yeah. basketball because what percentage of them is going to finish? And I and I think that's a fascinating stat because I think it's I think it's pretty. Like, yeah, we should do a a measure on turnover rate in college basketball as far as because like George is number one. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah. they lose like ten guys every year, and it's not to the <laughs> draft. But so, but if you have a great, like, if you have an Anthony Edwards, he's going to the draft. Um, and so it's, it's very hard to build. And we were talking earlier about, you know, can Baylor Gonzaga have a John Wooden run, even if you have a monopoly on the talent, like pre transfer portal, pre G league, John Calipari at Kentucky, he kind of had a monopoly for about five years where he was getting the top five prospects every single year. And they might've won. I think they won two championships. And that, like Anthony Davis won one. I'm trying to remember, but it's not like they won every championship. And same with Duke and Coach K. Like they they had a run after Coach Calipari where they they had the top guys, whether it was 
Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram or Tyus Jones. Like they, every year they've got these guys and they won like maybe one championship in that stretch. So to go on a run where you're winning 10 championships or f- you know, five to 10 championships, it just seems impossible at this point in time, particularly with the transfer portal, the G League, the NBA draft. In foreign leagues, there's players, you know, there are players that go and play overseas um, rather than going to college. And so there's there's less talent to start with. And, and I think the talent disparity is less because of that. Like if you're a Duke, you're, if Zion Williamson's going to the G League, you know, your best player's not 10 times better than the best player on Clemson's team or, or one of your other ACC rivals. So it's, it's a lot more competitive, uh, but it's less spectacular in my eyes. Well, let me, let me ask you a question. And I, you know, I, I just typed in, I just typed in something on Google, and I'm not even sure how to interpret the results I got. Was Midnight Madness a big thing when you were an undergrad? No. There was a time where College Midnight Madness was, that was a huge sports story. Well, I didn't right? go to a basketball school, too. I mean, if I had gone to UNC, it would have been. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even think I, like I said, I don't think I even hear about that anymore. Right? No. And, and, you know, so, so college basketball really started, I guess, November 7th is the, you know, everyone played. Mm-hmm. To me, college basketball now is, so you're going to play the cupcakes, or Dick Vitale cupcakes. And then you're going to get to a holiday tournament, a Thanksgiving tournament, and there'll be a few games. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like this really has any momentum or any traction until we start to get into the conference schedules in late December and January. Yeah, and I, like I think the casual basketball fans aren't into it till March Madness because it's like UNC. What are they going to be the one seed or the two seed? They play forty games or thirty games, whatever, however many games to determine whether they're the one seed or the two seed. It doesn't really matter that much. And once you get to March, every game matters. <laughs> so I think the uh, the casual fans really don't tune in, and that, that's probably why we're not hearing about it too much at this point. But I'll say one more observation on college basketball. I remember growing up, I. I liked the NBA a lot as a kid, and I grew up in a place where nobody likes the NBA. Um, everybody likes college sports and professional sports, or I don't know, it's like for sellouts or something. And people would tell me, "You don't want to, you don't want to watch the NBA." Like, Why? Uh, you know, Vince Carter is my favorite player. They say, "Well, he'll get traded. He'll get traded. You know, they'll trade the team. The players don't stay together. They don't play good team ball. In college, they play team fundamental." basketball these guys have chemistry basketball is such a sport of continuity in terms of chemistry in terms of teamwork it's such a team sport and that was the appeal of college basketball and i remember watching you becoming a unc fan as a kid and watching tyler hansborough and ty lawson and wayne ellington for several years compete you know lose championship games come back win championship games like get better over time have that magical chemistry but at this point as a basketball fan you know, you can criticize the NBA for trading players or whatever. I think there's more continuity in the NBA as far as like the Milwaukee Bucks. They're not that different of a team than the team that won a championship a couple years ago. The Spurs, you know, their championship dynasty, they were had about more or less the same team for 10 years, give or take a couple players. But like college team, UNC, they've had a different star player every year for the last 10 years. It's like, oh, yeah. it's like, Here's if, a question, Doug. yeah. Can an NIL deal have a clause in it that you have to stay with the team? I would love that. You know, if we're going to sign you to come play basketball at the University of Georgia for Kane's Chicken, 
You've got to be here for four years before these stock options vest. I mean, it's. I would love that. I, I think mean, that would be great. Be, but I think it would be great for college basketball. It wouldn't be great yeah. for the NBA. It'd be great for college basketball. It might be good for the NBA because well, not I think as many developmental clause. projects. I'm saying you give them a clause to leave to the NBA, but no transfer, right? Okay. If well, the they're going to deal is void. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. We'll see if that stuff happens. Um, I am curious about the whole transfer. Like, let's say, for example, Jermaine Burton signs a big NIL deal at Georgia, gets a free car, and transfers to Alabama. Does he have to go back to the dealership and then go to a different... I don't know how all that works. Like, the, I'm sure it's a complete cluster at this point, right? Yeah. There have been no rules, and it's everything's been kind of made up on the go, right? It's, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. But I, I think it'd be great for college basketball. I think college basketball would have kind of a mainstream comeback if you had players whose individual brands developed over multiple years rather than right by the time you start to know who guys are, they're gone. That's how it is now. Yeah, and and it I think it's devastating from the fan perspective too, right? Mm-hmm. It's where you just don't like I said, I tuned into Illinois and it really does feel very mercenary at this point. Oh, you know, here's this year's group of mercenaries and mm-hmm. like I like I I love that kid Andre Carbello for Illinois. I thought he was like mm-hmm. a future, I don't know, like watching a globetrotter. Mm-hmm. He now plays for St. John's. I was watching some St. John's highlights. You know, he had a couple of years at Illinois, and I'm still following his career. I'm more invested in Curbelo than anyone currently on that Illinois roster. Mm-hmm. Now, it'll it'll switch over, right? Because, again, you know, as Seinfeld said, we root for the close. Um, but right. it's, but it, it, it takes a while. And my fear is always that, you know, every year, year in, year out, it gets a little harder to root for this new group. And it's, but it's interesting, right? Cause we have not seen anything like that in college football, right? We no, have, and p- football fans complain about it because of the transfer portal. Um, they complain about it and, and it doesn't feel, you know, it feels like, Oh, they're going to ruin college football. At the end of the day, like Georgia fans have been following Stetson Bennett for like seven years. <laughs> uh, and his story, it's like, he's yeah. part of the family. Bryce young. He's only played for two years at Alabama. But he was back up a year before that. And Bama fans were clamoring for him to play when they were up 49 every game uh, behind Mac Jones. And then they followed him in high school. And so there, there's, there's still that four year, four years of knowing a player. And when you have a new player, it's like a new toy. Like it's exciting when there's a new player comes up because you, I remember last year for Georgia fans, Brock Bowers comes out of nowhere and it's like, we're going to get three years of this guy. We're going to get to watch this guy play for three years. He's got other team. Auburn's going to have to try to defend him for three years. And so you don't have that in basketball. It's like Anthony Edwards comes to Georgia. It's like, wow, I'll get to see him play in person probably one time. Maybe they'll make the tournament and win a game. Maybe not. The tournament didn't happen that year because of COVID. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I guess I'll root for him for the Timberwolves whenever they're on TV, which they're not. And you so, can see him, you know, playing for five and six Timberwolves and having to apologize for things he does on Twitter, right? Yeah, and it's a short time in wearing, you know, the the Georgia clothes, and, and like I, I watching know. the NFL, like as a Georgia guy, watching the the NFL feels like a Georgia retirement league. It feels like it's not a minor league, like it is the biggest league, but it feels like these guys will always be. 
Georgia players, and this is kind of their stop. It's like Tom Brady for the Bucks. You know, it's like he's a Patriot, but he plays for the Bucks right now. That's how it feels with like every Georgia player in the NFL. Anthony Edwards for the Timberwolves or, you know, whoever in the NBA. It's like Georgia feels like a little another AAU team that he played on. Like he probably played on like eight AAU teams in his life, and Georgia's one of them. And that's not a huge part of his story or a huge that's not where he became a man or became, developed into the player that he is. It's just a place he had to go for a year, pretend yeah. to go to class, you know, try to pass classes and and showcase his skills for a year before going. It's a different, it feels so different. It feels so different. Okay, so we're segueing a little bit into basketball. We're going to talk a lot more about basketball as, you know, as we move into December. We got a college, ba- uh, sorry, a professional basketball brand equity analysis mm-hmm. ready to go. We're just waiting for the season to start really kind of hitting its stride. You know, the, and again, you know, like, like college basketball, you know, in a way, fall, maybe fall basketball is just, it's, it's something that's kind of dying, right? Because yeah. the NBA will hit, uh, you know, Christmas Day, there'll be a marquee matchup, and that's when the excitement's going to start. But we're, we're 10, 10, 11 games into the season, Doug. You got any initial observations on th- about the NBA? I mean, the Lakers are probably the big story at, what are they, 2-8 and eight at the moment. Yeah. Seems like, you know, is there panic out there? Well, I mean, I think Lakers fans because the they lost a couple games before they won any, so they people kind of wrote them off before the season started. And ESPN loves the Lakers; everyone loves talking about the Lakers. I think that it's just there's so many games in the season. Like the Warriors are four and seven right now. Uh, the first game I watched them play, they looked exactly like the team that won the championship last year. It's like they're going to run it back, and they've lost a bunch of games since then. Are Warriors fans panicking? I don't think so. I don't think anyone's saying, you know, I I would imagine in Vegas at four and seven, the Warriors are the odds on favorite to win the NBA finals right now. Um, so there's some weird anomalies kind of early in the season, but it seems like there will be a regression to the mean as the season goes on. The Jazz being first in the <laughs> in the Western Conference after trading away Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. It was supposed to be a tank year from them. And they're right now they're no, they'd be the number one seed. Uh, Trailblazers who traded CJ McCollum are number three in the West. And then on the other side, it's like the Cleveland Cavaliers, the two seed right now, and teams like the Nets and the Sixers who wouldn't be in the playoffs. I just feel like it's too, it's kind of like Mike, you know, we were talking about your NFL quarterback data. And a couple weeks into the season, we were like, it's too early to really make judgments as to whether or not you were right because it's, it's just not enough data. I feel like with the NBA right now, we're at that point in the season where people will overreact because that's their job. On ESPN, um, you know, I, I think the Warriors will right the ship. I think the Lakers probably do have some legitimate problems, and we knew that going into the season. Some of these teams that are having a nice little storyline right now will probably go, go on a losing streak and, and drop out of the playoff ranks, and things will kind of end up exactly how you'd expect them to. So uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it, but it seems too early to make huge judgments on the NBA. Yeah, but I... and. I'm I'm sure you're right. The only caveat I put put on that is again, are we finally, you know, has the Lakers window closed? And I think that's that's a definite possibility the way this is the way this is going. And you know, like some of these guys are really old, right? I mean, they're not really old, but they're really old in basketball. And, and like maybe that's something that we've seen in you know, age doesn't age is undefeated, right? Yeah. Sometimes they can sort of, you know, prolong things, but 
you know, maybe we are in the tailspin, you know, we're, we're coming up to the final, you know, the, the ending, the epilogue or the, you know, the conclusion of the LeBron James story, the, you know, Tom Brady story, the Aaron, um, who's the Packers quarterback's last name? Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers story. You know, age is, age is what ends all it's sports careers, right? I mean, I'll, it's I'll too this, Yeah, I'll say this about the Lakers, though. LeBron, if you watch him play, he hasn't really fallen off very much. He's still you make the argument that he's the best player, one of the best players in the NBA at this 39? point. Yeah, he's phenomenal for a 39 year old. And you start to wonder the GM, you know, LeBron making all these moves. You look at some of the players that were traded away for LeBron to kind of have his way in LA and get his buddies together to end up on a team with guys like Westbrook and Anthony Davis. If LeBron right now were playing with Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Julius Randle, some of these guys they traded away in that era, um, the Lakers might be a championship favorite or contender with the way that he's playing. But he's surrounded by guys that, you know, whereas LeBron is, he's kind of been a Tom Brady where he's defied the odds as far as age is concerned. Uh, he's surrounded him, expecting a whole team of guys to do that is maybe not the best strategy. And where, you know, it's like if you put, I mean, I guess the Tom Brady's on a team with Julio Jones, but it's like if they really were counting on Julio Jones to be the number one receiver in Tampa and you know, maybe made a trade for AJ Green and brought on Antonio Brown back into the league. And old guys always do that, though. When old guys get to be the GM, they always choose their friends, right? Yeah. Because- yeah. So I think the like my criticism of LeBron in recent years has just been like GM skills. He's yeah. GMing, yeah, man. He's he's playing at a really phenomenal level. I mean, I would. I'm, I've been critical of LeBron a lot. I think there's no question statistically for his age, there's never been a there's never been a better 39-year-old basketball player in the NBA or more productive 39-year-old basketball player in the NBA. Uh, but you know, and then people his the LeBron stands will say, Yeah, but he just doesn't have a you know, he just doesn't have a good supporting cast. Like, well, he chose it. He picked he handpicked it. So that's you know, that's a criticism of him right there. Here's our wrap up in all of this. And again, it's kind of the perfect reflection of American sports in our final word for this week. Perfect reflection on where American sports are. The Astros won the World Series in six games and they drew an average rating of 12.55 million fans. The number for Georgia versus Tennessee was what? 13? 13 13 million. So America's World Series... Final game loses to a regular seat. Look, I'm not I'm not belittling it at all, but to a regular season sort of regional, you know, game in college football. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually uh, I think that number is even, you know, I suspect if you dug into it or you were able I, I don't have access to this data, but if you're able to really dig into the data. I bet you that number is incredibly fascinating, right? Because how many people live in, you know, Athens, Georgia? How many people live in Tennessee? You know, these are relatively small places. Mm -hmm. This was between the Houston Astros, metro area of probably about 7 million people, Philadelphia, Philly, Philly, the Phillies, metro area of 6 million plus people. If you got half of those markets watching, the local Which, audience alone should have outperformed. Yeah, but, but if you got a local audience of, let's say, four 
million people watching in those two cities. Then you come up with a number that there's 8 million people watching across the other 320 million people in this country. That's an astonishing way that that's an astonishing number for baseball's, you know, national pastime. Yeah, that's that that's brutal. And with Knoxville and Athens, Georgia being incredibly small markets relative to that, looks like the national viewership of of a regional football game was significantly stronger. At 3.30 in the afternoon, right? Yeah, 3.30 on a Saturday. Well, it depends where you live. It could be, but it's not a night game. It's not prime, you know, it's not prime time in television sense. So, um, yeah, pretty phenomenal. Baseball is done. Basketball is back. Uh, we had that brief overlap, I guess not with college basketball, but with NBA, MLB, NFL, on season college football, of course, and NHL as well. So f- sports are sports are at full, in full swing right now. Um, you know, we'll be keeping an eye on the NBA, NFL. My only takeaway this week was that Kirk Cousins has a lot more swagger than I would have ever imagined. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, He's an I mean, MVP frontrunner this year. So. Throw that up on you know uh, on sort of the video pieces from this week's podcast. I've got no comment. I don't know what to say. Kurt Cousins has, in some ways, Kurt Cousins has won the week with whatever that was, uh, the, the jewelry, the dancing. Um, well done. And, and look, you know, Kurt, I, I think you're probably right. Uh, I think the Vikings are seven and one at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, it's obviously one of the things I got a little bit wrong with uh, picking the Packers in that division. Kirk Cousins, well done, spectacular. It, well, you know, it, but you know what, Doc? I almost wonder, and we got to wrap this up in a second. Do you think Joe Burrow has inspired some of these older guys to get a little more out there? They're like, we can be cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can be cool now. Um, Kirk Cousins certainly like that kind of behavior. That is exactly what you expect from Joe Burrow. Kirk Cousins is. It was shocking to me. It was shocking, and I love to see it, but it was shocking. He's our uh, okay. So, Kirk Cousins is our. I, I don't know who our fan of the week is. It's the kid drinking. It's the kid drinking mustard out of the bottle the in, in college. Game. And our player of the week is Kirk Cousins. Uh, I'll so, say my fan of the week is still the Tennessee fan base because the coordination to get Stetson Bennett's phone number, leak it out to the entire student body, and have everyone in the student body. Call and text him at midnight the night before the game. Uh, phenomenal coordination by them. Uh, Stetson Bennett did the the Selly celebration on his first touchdown, pointed at the at the Tennessee <laughs> student section. Just beautiful, man. That's see, that's why that's why the rivalry is like. I'm not mad that Tennessee's back. We got a rivalry. This is fun stuff. I think Stetson had some fun with it, and that's some great fandom right there. We're here for it. Awesome stuff. As always, more content at www.fandomanalytics.com. Till next time.